from the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise, you, uh, raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And you shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see this great fire, I will die. And then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. And anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. And you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, do not be frightened by it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of the Lord. Back in my early 20s, I found a girl I liked <laughs> a lot. I met her while I was traveling uh, during the summer for uh, the college I was at, the camps. And I thought she was gorgeous. In fact, I went on to marry her, but don't let me get too far ahead of myself. See, just prior to that summer, I spent traveling for the college. My, my longtime high school sweetheart broke off our engagement. Of course, I was devastated by the whole thing. And so traveling the Midwest, spending time with young people, getting to be the hip college guy was pretty good tonic. Anyway, at the end of the summer, I, I had a new girlfriend and a changed outlook on life. Sometime early in the fall, my old girlfriend, she called me up and she wanted to get back together. And I tried to be kind, but essentially what I said was, thanks, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm happy where I'm at right now. Don't want to screw that up. So, no. Well, when my friends from high school found out that I wasn't getting back together with my old girlfriend, it apparently caused a great deal of consternation. Not quite sure why they were so invested in the whole thing, to be honest, but they apparently were. Two of my oldest friends called me up and they said that they wanted to get together with me. They, wanted, they had something they wanted to talk to me about. Now, one of the guys, he was a kind of a hipper form of Pentecostal, the kind you see wearing those mics that sort of swoop across your face, very much into the whole 
Christian lingo thing, like, I'm in a new season of life, and I'm just dancing in the Lord, or God has put it on my heart that Joel Olstein is a modern-day prophet. I mean, that kind of thing. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, to be fair, I, I, I had at the time a higher tolerance for that kind of Christianese and growing up myself in an evangelical household, but now it's just not really my thing. Kind of, to be honest, just kind of sets my teeth on edge. But, and the other guy, he was a Lutheran, so I mean, I don't know what his deal was. I mean, in my experience at the time, Lutherans never really said a whole lot about God out loud, but I mean, you know, whatever. The Lutheran was there too. Anyway, we three finally got together, and, and they wanted to tell me that independent of one another, they both felt like God had put it on their hearts that I was supposed to get back together with my old girlfriend. And the fact that they both got the same message indicated to them that this was clearly a sign from God. Apparently it never occurred to them that projection is an actual thing <laughs> and that maybe it was they who wanted me to re-up with my old girlfriend and that God might even then be looking down and grumbling, you know, look, you idiots, I never said that. <laughs> I mean, God probably wouldn't say that, but, I mean, that's how I think, so maybe I'm guilty of a little projection myself. At any rate, I'm certain that I would see the predicament the same way that they did. They rushed to the phone to call me to set up a meeting where they would let me know what, that, that, that God wanted me to, to, to get back together with this young woman. I don't remember much about the conversation, frankly, except that basically I said, thanks, but I'm good, happy where I'm at right now, and I don't want to screw that up, so no. <laughs> But I mean, if I'm being honest, I was a little rattled by the whole thing. If, if, if God had sent a message and I was guilty of ignoring it, putting my own stupid feelings first, you know, what about that? I mean, what if God had sent them on an errand to steer me down one road, but I was yanking the wheel in the opposite direction? You can see what I mean, right? The way I grew up, if somebody told you that God had put something on their heart, you didn't just casually ignore it. I mean, you listen because, I mean, you know, I mean, what if it really was God? So unnerved was I that I went to my parents' house and I told them everything that had just happened. I'd gotten pretty upset over the, th the whole thing, and I'll never forget what my dad said. <laughs> he said, Look, that's not how God works. Don't listen to them. They're idiots. Of course, my dad would definitely never say that, um, but that's how I think, so, and I don't exactly remember his words, so I'm going to go with that. I mean, it just sort of feels right to me. But after that conversation, I was relieved. I, I really felt like I was already doing the right thing. But, you know, if somebody comes up to you and tells you that God told them you're supposed to do something different it's kind of hard to ignore, isn't it? I mean, at least it was for me. Which raises the question, who gets to speak for God? I mean, how do we recognize a prophet? Right? But those aren't idle questions, are they? Over the past 10 days or so, I've, I've heard Franklin Graham suggest that the insurrection at the Capitol... Um, 
that in his mind, the comparison was with Donald Trump to Jesus. And then, and, and then he went on to say that the 10 Republican Congress people who voted to impeach uh, the president were Judas of some sort. Now, a petition has gone out from Faithful America to have Franklin Graham fired from his post as head of the Evangelical Aid Ministry Samaritan's Purse for his part in inciting the insurrection by, by, by making claims about the previous president being sent by God to lead the nation and all of that stuff. He, he was, for all intents and purposes, presuming to speak for God, like, like really publicly in front of the whole world. And as is my custom, I cringed. I, I wanted to shout out to the whole world, that's not how God works. Don't listen to him, he's an idiot. See, I told you how my mind works. But who gets to speak for God? That, I mean, that's the question that Moses tries to answer, or better, God tries through Moses to answer, in our text for this morning. And it's a pressing one. I mean, if you read the lectionary text, our passage seems to come out of nowhere. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that, in fact, the first part of chapter 18 in the book of Deuteronomy illuminates our passage. What am I talking about? Because you don't have that memorized. Well, Moses has been laying down the law for the Israelites. I mean, literally laying down the law, which is to say the oral law, a lot of thou shalt and shalt nots in the preceding chapters, but just before our text, the issue on the table is how the children of God are supposed to act when they come into the new lands that God has promised to give them. So apparently there were, uh, th there were those who would practice divination or who are soothsayers or an augur or a sorcerer or one who casts out spells or who consults ghosts or spirit who seeks oracles from the dead. Just in chapter 18, verse 10, five verses prior to our text for this morning. And we're quick to learn that God doesn't like these sorts of things and that the Israelites are supposed to stay far, far away from them. Although these nations that you are about to dispossess do give heed to soothsayers and diviners, as for you, the Lord your God does not permit you to do so. Okay, fine. But, I mean, why do people consult soothsayers and diviners and augurs and sorcerers or people who cast out spells or consult ghosts or spirits who, who seek oracles from the dead? I mean, why do they consult any of them in the first place? Well, because they want to know something, right? I mean, whether that something is about death or the future or the divine or a lost loved one. I mean, people consult soothsayers and diviners because these sorts of folks claim to know more about the hidden mysteries of the world than you or I do. They claim to have the answers to the riddles of life, which, I mean, who doesn't want to know about that kind of stuff, right? So what's the problem? Well, these soothsayers and diviners more or less claim that they have access to God, uh, to the divine, to, to, to know somehow the mind of God. And for price, they're willing to let you in on the secret. But in our text, God warns against listening to these people because God will make God's mind clear enough through, God, through the people that God chooses 
And the people God chooses are those whom we call prophets. But the problem with prophets has always been, how do you know which ones are actually speaking for God? And which ones are just, you know, making it up? You see what I mean? I mean, there are plenty of people out there claiming to speak for God. Franklin Graham, Al Mohler, Jerry Falwell Jr., for instance, seem pretty sure that they've got a hammerlock on God's mind. And there are plenty of people who willingly believe that these folks do have some kind of insider information. But I mean, come on, man. These people rarely get God right, even by accident. So if just anybody can claim God put something on their heart, how is it that we are able to make a determination about who's actually speaking God's mind? Because the people who say they're speaking for God often don't agree on what it is God's supposed to have said. All right, well, so here's a place to start. Anyone who claims to be a prophet, like, it, it may not be. Because prophets have actual work to do, which prevents them from expending energy trying to convince people that they're prophets. I mean, prophets in the Bible tend to be folks who are dragged kicking and screaming into the whole messy affair of speaking for God. They're, they're not out there bragging about being prophets. Real prophets would prefer to be anything else. Real prophets know that being a prophet is usually fraught with angry people and giant headaches. I mean, real prophets often try to run away from their vocation as the speaker of God's mind. I mean, think about Jonah or Isaiah or even Moses himself. I mean, so how do we know who's really a prophet and who's just making stuff up and then projecting it onto God? Well, our text for this morning gives another tip-off about how to identify false prophets. Any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak. Now, you may be quick to chime in at this point that, well, that's question begging, right? That such a tip-off doesn't tell us much. I mean, after all, isn't the whole issue about who's speaking in the name of other gods and who's speaking in God's name a word that God commanded them to speak? All right, it's a good point. So perhaps we can get at it another way. What kinds of things do we know God has said in the past? The kinds of things that we already know that Scripture describes as reflecting God's thinking. Well, here's one. In the Torah, the admonition to care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger is far and away the most cited responsibility for those who would follow God. Over three dozen times, we hear about caring for those who are most vulnerable. More than murder, more than stealing, more than adultery, caring for widows, orphans, and strangers is a biggie. So any person who comes along and claims to be speaking for God, but seems not to care at all about those whom God singles out for extra protection, probably isn't speaking for God. I mean, you 
see how that works, right? You can, you can expand it, too. Any preacher, for instance, who says that what God cares most about is answering your dreams for a bigger house, a nicer car, or a fatter bank account, probably a false prophet. Any Yahoo that tries to convince you that what God's most concerned about are sexual sins, except when those sexual sins are committed by somebody you think can, can deliver on your partisan policy Christmas wish list. Anybody like that, probably a false prophet. Any loudmouth who says God cares more about refusing to bake gay wedding cakes than about offering hospitalities to those who've been systematically cut off from God by well-meaning religious types, false prophet. Anybody who claims that God is a God of grace and not anger when it comes to dealing with systems and authorities designed to keep the last, the least, uh, and the lost last, and to keep those who are first, first, false, false prophet. Remember, I was in a preaching class in seminary one time, and, and, and one of the students preached on a text from the prophet Amos. And it sort of came off to me as judgmental. Uh, you know, so you're not doing this or this. Moreover, you should have done this. As a consequence, God's really mad. And I remember sort of commenting, um, because we we're asked to give our input critiques, and I said something along the lines of, well, I mean, that's all in fine and good, but, but where's the grace in that sermon? Now, all of these years later, I think I have an idea about where to find grace in that student's sermon. I think it goes without saying that there are people who show up in church who don't have the slightest idea why they're even there, except that they need to hear about a God who holds the hand of the anxious, who bears up those too weak to stand, who loves those who think themselves unlovable, who forgives the unforgivable. So, I mean, yes, we need to comfort and console the frightened and the grieving, we need a God of grace. We all do, undeniably. But there are also people who need to hear about a God who is furious with a world in which social, political, and economic systems are rigged against black people. A God who's incensed when immigrant families are torn apart and children are put in cages. A God whose anger flares when terrified refugees are turned away. A God whose indignation burns hot against those who would mistreat women and the vulnerable. A God who's unafraid of the rulers of this world who abuse the poor, who lead cheers of hatred against Muslims and the undocumented. And there are all kinds of people who would love to hear about a God who raises an arm against injustice, who will not tolerate bigotry, who refuses to sit by while the work of the laborers is monetized in ways that only benefit the people in charge and not the laborers themselves, who are desperate for a word from a God who is incensed with a world in which black parents lie awake at night in fear of what might happen to their children on the way home from school or their families on the way home from the store. Now, if you happen to be one of the people kicked to the curb by the folks in charge, God's outrage at those kinds of things 
may just be what grace sounds like. And if you hear it coming from someone who claims to be speaking for God, well, they might just be speaking for God. <laughs> Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.